Well, today, um, we're going to do something a little out of my comfort zone. And it's not this, okay? <laughs> it's, did y'all know the word can be taught without a pulpit? I guess you didn't know that, right? Uh, but, uh, you know, pastors, we need this, like, thing to hang on to sometimes, and I, it's just not there. Uh, but what we're doing in this series is, and it came out of a conversation uh, of how we've been working through these last six months just laying foundations. We've been building this building. We've been laying foundation in your lives, in our lives, about how we live free. How do we do not have to live by the bondage of sin and the, and, the, and the curse in this world? We've been set free in Jesus' name. And we find that freedom in God's truth. And we talked about how to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the power of God is, is just resonating in us and leading and guiding us. And then we, we dovetailed that into how do you know God's will? How, how do you know that it's time, Justin Amell? How do you know that God wants to do something in you? And, and out of all of that, we were in a conversation with some folks in a community group, and, and the reality hit me like, you know what? We've talked about the truth. We've talked about the Holy Spirit. But one thing we need to talk about is how do you know the Word of God that tells you, that leads you and guides you into the truth? Because today we live in a day that we are so busy, and the world has made us so busy, that for many believers, the Word of God is an afterthought and not the very bread that Jesus said he even came to live upon. So I want to encourage you this morning to, to take some notes, to let this speak to you, because what we've been doing in the last couple of weeks is we set the table of just saying, let us understand why we need to know it. Then last week we talked about how, that, how it was put together, and I felt like Professor Mike last week, and I, I brought a couple of copies of a, one of the slides I used last week about the mirror image of how the Word of God is set up that way. You can find them over by the coffee. But today what I want to talk about is how can you trust the Word of God? I grew up singing, Jesus loves me, this I know because the Bible tells me so, right? The problem is we live in a generation that goes, well, what's the Bible? Who cares? How can you trust that? Because the Bible has from its very origins, the original manuscripts, the things that have led to this wonderful book we have today, have, have not only become the most popular book in the world, but they've also become the most fought against, fought against book, the most uh, derided book you can ever come across. And for believers, we need to recognize that there is a reason we have to understand why we can trust it. Because when we look and we witness to someone who's far from God and we say, well, the Bible says, understand, they have no reference. And understand, they may have no thought that that's even a good thing because they've been taught differently. Because this world is against so much of what the Bible teaches. But yet, Scripture tells us in 2 Timothy, and I didn't give you the reference, but I'll go to 2 Timothy 3. I'll give you a moment to go there. If, if today would be a good day to be on you version because there's a lot of notes, a lot of things to follow. And, and if you allow me, I'm going to be like Professor Mike for the next 35 minutes because we're going to talk about seven reasons that why you can trust the Word of God. Seven reasons why you can trust the Word of God. And in 2 Timothy 3, it says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Now, I want to just stop for a moment and just explain that, okay? Because for a lot of people, what they say is, well, that means it's inspired and in true, the Word of God is inspired, but really what God breathed means, it's, it's, it's like this. Right now, you are hearing word that is mic breathed, okay? There's a breath coming out of me that's coming over my vocal cords, that's creating sound that's hitting in your ears, and you are then receiving that, okay? That was very non-technical, but you understand, right? And in the same way, when the Bible says that all scriptures God breathed, it's not just that men were inspired by the thought of God. It's that God was speaking by his Holy Spirit into their lives, and they were writing out the very word of God because there is one author, even though there were 40 people who scripted it out. It says it's all God-breathed, and it is useful. It's not just motivational. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness 
so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, what's my goal in this series? It's that we learn to love the Bible, that we learn to, to live it and to, and, and to get it into our spirits because it's so critical that we understand the truths of God's Word, and I'll explain that in a moment. Listen, we, we recognize there are many that are far from God that say the Bible's just another book, but sadly, many in the church feel the same way. Sadly, many in the church don't know the beauty and the truth of God's Word, and because of that, they say, oh, the Bible's great for motivation, but you really can't trust it. Can I tell you, if we can't trust the Bible, we might as well go home. If we can't trust the Word of God, we are a bunch of foolish people today. If we can't trust the Word of God, then our salvation is a joke, and our future is totally random, but yet that is not true because the Bible does say so, and because we can trust the Word of God. In Matthew 7, Verse 24, Jesus was speaking uh, to, to those that were gathered around in what was called the Sermon on the Mount. And he said in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And the reason that was so critical, because the next verse said there are storms that are going to come. There, there are winds and waves, like we sang about this morning, they're going to come. No matter, no matter who you are, no matter how long you serve God, this life has a lot of storms. But if our, word, if our lives are built on the foundation of the word, the Bible says we will stand. And can I tell you, gang, we need to learn to stand today. We need to stand strong today. But we can only stand strong on a word that we trust. Because our motivation in the word of God is not just to grasp it intellectually, but that the word of God will get in us. And the power of God will take effect through us so that we will be not only people that are filled with the love of God, but walk with the power of God, holding out hope to a generation that needs hope. Do you, do you think we need this this morning? Say amen. Come on, let's, let's hear this today. I want you to, to help me out here, because again, I am a little out of my depth this morning, but, uh, but I'm going to help you out here with some good truth today. So why do we trust the Bible? Matthew says that heaven and earth will pass away. In other words, a lot of things are going to change on earth, but my words will never pass away. But how do we know that? Again, for some of us, it's, it's enough. We say because the Bible says so. But for many, it's not enough. And we need to be able to be responsible believers to understand why it is we believe this word can be trusted. There, there's a, uh, there's a, a thought called apologetics, which maybe many of you have studied or maybe or many of you are in it, maybe you never heard of that word. But basically, it is the study of why you can trust the word of God. And, and again, that is not my field. I'll explain again in a moment why it's not my field. And there are some great men out there that have done some great research, and I'll, I'll recommend some books to you if you want to follow up more. Uh, I grew up on Josh McDowell, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, which is a great book on apologetics. There are others out there that, that can help you. Uh, Dr. Rick Warren in Saddleback Community Church, they wrote The, the Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. Uh, they had a whole community group based on that. But it's important that we are able to defend what is truth to us. And to do that, I want to give you these seven reasons. So pray with me right now and pray for me right now. Because again, uh, this may feel more like a lecture. And I, I've asked God to breathe through this lecture, amen? Because I believe some of you are here today that need to be touched by the power of God. And I want you to know him today. Father, God help us. God give us ears to hear God. God give us a heart to respond. God, because we know that the whole deal hinges on God, whether our hearts are open to you. So, God, I pray that our hearts would be open, Lord, that the seeds that are sown, God, will fall on fertile ground this morning. And, God, something will spark inside of us that says, I know that I know that I can trust him, and I can build my life on him, and I can share with others to build their lives on him by knowing the word of God. 
So, Father, we give ourselves to you. Speak to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Denise, would you give me a water, please? Uh, I've been in a three-day conference. We interviewed six church planters this week, and uh, I've been singing and talking way too much, so the voice is, uh, no, I'll just keep it up here. There's nowhere to put it. I know there's no This was my idea, so I can't blame it on Justin, okay? Um, So, seven reasons in your notes uh, why the Bible can be trusted. Number one is that the Bible is historically accurate. The Bible is historically accurate. You see, the Bible is just not a book of doctrine. It's not just a, a book that's theologically correct. It's not just great ethical and moral teaching. It is literally real people in real history lived out before us so that we then know how to live in the promise and presence of God. And the reason that is important is because the Bible tells me that God cannot lie, that he is not a man that he should lie. And so I have to believe that if there is one lie in this book, I cannot trust it. So I have to understand its accuracy in order to build my foundation on, Lord, I can trust you. Because again, the Bible says the word of the Lord is both right and true. You can find that in Psalm 33. But for something to be considered historically accurate, for those that uh, have maybe majored in history or if you, you spend a lot of time in those classes, there's always three things that, that historians use to determine if something is historically accurate. And the first one is very important, and that is that there are eyewitness accounts of what actually took place. And the cool thing about that thought is when you read the Word of God, you recognize the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written by people who were there. They saw the miracles. They heard the teaching. They witnessed what God did. You look in the Old Testament, Moses didn't just dream or someone tell him about the the Lord departing the Red Sea. He was there and he saw it. Joshua saw the walls of Jericho fall down. The, the, the disciples were there in the upper room when the Holy Spirit was poured out and they saw like what were tongues of fire and, and they heard the wind and they were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. We have eyewitnesses to what the Word of God teaches us in this life. But not only were the disciples in the upper room, they also saw the resurrected Christ. One of which actually put his fingers in the holes in his hands and in the holes in his sides. So the first thing we can say, it, is, it was eyewitness, there were eyewitness accounts of what was happening there. The second thing historians require is that the recordings or the copies of any original manuscript were done with extreme care. Can I tell you that the people that, that, that copied and, and wrote the manuscripts of the original teachings of the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible, then, the, then the, the prophetic words, the things that we are so blessed with today, were some of the most meticulous people in the world. Because every time they came across a written manual of what was eyewitness, they copied it with such extreme care. They would copy it not word by word. They would literally copy it letter by letter. In fact, the Old Testament scribes, if they ever found a manuscript of the original five books uh, of the Bible, they literally had counted how many letters there were to the very middle letter of that manuscript. And if someone said, this is a manuscript of, of the Word, this is what would happen in the history of the, of the Bible, they would go to the middle of it and count to it, and if one letter was off, they would throw it away. Because they said, no, that's not accurate. It has to be accurately recorded because it was so important that what it was teaching to us. 
There was something called the Dead Sea Scrolls that were written about 100 years uh, uh, before Jesus. And they were, they were copies of those things that had been sought after for, for millennium. And yet they, they were found uh, literally about 900 years after Jesus walked this earth. And when they were compared to the original writings, again, some of these uh, traditions that were passed through, they were found to be within 5% accurate. And the inaccuracies were over the spellings of names, not over the events that were taking place. So even as a historical book, we can trust that what was presented and what, was, what took place has been presented to us in, a, in an accurate manner. The second thing that we can do uh, that they require, I mean, the third thing is they require archaeological validation. Someone say archaeological just because I got it right. Come on. There's those words you like. I don't use that word very often, but I got it right. Archaeological. Places have been uncovered. People have been discovered. The book of Acts, the historical book in the New Testament, was recorded by Dr. Luke. And in that book, he recorded 54 cities, 39 countries, and 9 islands with archaeological accuracy. See, I got cocky and almost missed it up that time. It, it's interesting that there are controversies about whether the Bible is archaeological correct. And for years, the big controversy was over a group of people called the Hittites. One of those ites they had to deal with, you know, when they came into the promised land. The Jebusites, Hittites, Gerbers, all those ites. And for some reason, they could never prove the Hittites existed. So man used that to say, well, then you can't trust the word of God. But what happened in the early 1900s is in an archaeological dig, they discovered 10,000 clay tablets that gave evidence that, in fact, the Hittites existed. So there is the, the three criteria have all been met to say we can trust the Bible historically. Here's the second proof, and this one's hard for some people. You can trust it scientifically. Now, we are a pretty educated bunch in this place. And I realize that that, that gives me great, great thought of, of just thankfulness to God because we just don't take things uh, uh, up front. I challenge you always, challenge us, get into the Word of God, see what it says. But can I tell you that people that believe that the Bible is not scientifically accurate, either one, have never read the Bible, or two, they don't understand science. Let me show you why. You see, God was the creator of the universe. So if God created the universe, he created the laws that govern the universe. So things like physics and gravity and things that we, we all now have come to understand, he put into place that they would never be contradicted by man. But you have to understand the Bible, although it's scientifically accurate, it's not a science textbook. It doesn't use scientific language. I don't go to the Bible to find instructions on internal combustion. It's just not there. But when I read the Bible, what I see is that the Bible never, ever tries to pass junk science as fact. In fact, the proof of its scientific accuracy has a lot more to do with, it, with what it doesn't say as much as it has to do with what it does say. You see, the Bible is always ahead of science. The Word of God is already ahead of our discoveries. There are things the Bible reveals scientifically long before man has ever discovered them. In fact, it was the famed astronomer and mathematician Johannes Kepler who said, Science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. Because he established the laws. He established physics, mathematics, biology. We get to discover them. And the truth of the matter is, science changes all the time. But the truth of God's word does not change. Can I tell you, there's nothing more worthless on this earth than my third grade science book. If I believed half of what I was taught in that third grade science book, I would be considered a not a very intelligent person these days. Because science always changes. You can go to the Smithsonian Institute 
And you can see the computer that I was taught to use in my undergrad degree back in 1985 called the Radio Shack TS-80, and it was TRS-80, and it was stinking awesome at the time. I hope you still don't have one of those in your house. But I showed it to my kids, like, this is what I learned on after I stopped punching cards. They're like, give me a break. They pull out their phones. You know what I mean? It's just, it's science is always changing. Think about it. How many people have been told you shouldn't eat eggs? And then you're told you should eat eggs. And then you're told that coffee's going to kill us. And now I'm told that coffee's going to save me from cancer because I drink a lot of it. Praise God. Hallelujah. He created the bean. It's good. You know, it's a constant evolution. There was, I love this. There was a book in, in 1861 written by the French Academy of Science, and they titled it 51 Incontrovertible Scientific Facts That You Can Prove the Bible is Wrong. The only problem is all 51 of those facts were proven to be true within about 10 years after they wrote it. it, it again, science has constantly fought against it, but yet the Word of God proves again and again that God is the creator of the universe. Psalm 148 verse 5 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at his command they were created, these, these laws that govern our universe. And he established them forever and ever, and he issued a decree that will never pass away. Now I said earlier that one of the proofs the Bible is scientifically accurate is, is really what it doesn't say. Because if you would think about it, during the era that it was written in, there was a lot of science that has been proven wrong. And it would be very easy for those who are writing the word and compiling this all together to just take the facts that people thought they knew at the time and put them in the Bible as if they were true facts. For instance, nowhere in the Bible will you ever find that the world was once considered to be flat. But it wasn't until 1400 through Copernicus and, and Galileo and Columbus that we discovered the world was in fact round and, and yet not flat. And you'd expect the Bible, because after all it was written way before that discovery, that if that was the belief of the day, it just might have recorded it. Yet, Isaiah, in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22, it says, God, or he, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Now, that goes totally against the science of the day. Can you, you, may not, you may not believe this, but think about this a second. A lot of the Word of God was written in Greek, right? The Greek culture was prevalent in the, where we wrote the New Testament. Where did the, the Greeks thought that literally there was this giant godlike being called Atlas who held the world. And that was their belief, but you don't find Atlas in the Bible. At the time, the Hindu belief was that the world sat on top of a, of a, of a group of elephants who were sat on top of a large sea turtle, who sat on top of a large sea serpent that swam around in this eternal lake. Moses was taught by the Egyptians. The Egyptians were brilliant. Some of the greatest architects of all times, the pyramids, the things, all these things we see. And yet, the Egyptians believed that the world sat on five pillars. They were balanced by them. But the Word of God tells us that there is nothing. This world is suspended in, in, the, in the skies. God created it to be alone. Job 26, the oldest book outside of Genesis in the Bible. Remember, the Bible is not chronological. We shared that last week. Job 26 says, He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. How did Job know that? Because God wrote the word. He is the author of the word. He's the creator of the universe. For years, man thought that this, the number of stars were finite. For years, they said, oh, you can count them. In fact, in 150 BC, they, they, there were fights, there were arguments over whether there was 1,022 stars or 1,023. But now we know NASA confirms in our own Milky Way, there are over 100 to 400 billion stars, and they're really saying it's an estimate because they realize it cannot be counted. Yet Jeremiah, years before NASA was even thought of, said the stars of the sky cannot be counted. 
Are, are you getting this a little bit? There, there, the science catches up. It, it's not the, it, we are never against science. And I, I, I hate the fact that the church sometimes comes off that way. I was raised in a home of a scientist, a veterinarian, a, a man of education. And I was taught these things because it was important to know that the Bible does not go against science. The, the science catches up to what the Bible reveals. Did you know our first president, George Washington, was killed by what at the time was considered good science? In fact, there was a man named Hippocrates, is where the doctors used the Hippocratic Oath, Father Western Medicine, that he believed in uh, what was called humorism. And that was that there were really basically four things that keep us alive and four things that kill us. And they were um, yellow bile, black bile, blue phlegm, and blood. God bless you. I know that helped you all this morning. Uh, but for thousands of years, they practiced this thought that too much blood makes you sick. So if you're sick, we're just going to bleed you and hope you make it. It was called bloodletting. George Washington died because they let out too much blood of his body trying to cure him. And yet, the Word of God teaches us something that they didn't get. You, now we know that you don't take blood out of people. If they're sick, you give them what? A transfusion. There's more blood. There's good blood that we can put inside of you. Why? Because the Bible thought all the way back in Leviticus, in Leviticus 17, verse 11, the life of the creature is in its blood. It wasn't until the 17th century we understood that blood circulates. Here's another one with, with medicine, okay? In the Middle Ages, the bubonic plague killed one quarter of Europe. One quarter. They would take sick people and they would always put them next to healthy people. They didn't understand the concept of contagion or infection. But yet in Leviticus 13, the priest would say, if there's an infected person, get them out of the camp and quarantine them for seven days. Why? Because God knew. God wrote it. God created this. He understands the laws. And we need to be able to trust them. Proverbs 30 verse 5 says, every word is flawless. Psalm 11, 12, 6 says, and the words of the Lord are flawless. Like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. So we can trust the Bible. But those are only two of the reasons. The third, I think, is almost more critical, and that is the Bible's prophetic, prophetically accurate. Prophetically accurate. The Bible makes thousands of predictions, thousands of prophecies. And can I tell you, the newest translations of the Word of God, maybe you have an ESV or a, a new uh, English version, or there's so many translations. Can I tell you, the translations were not correcting facts. All the translations were doing was finessing the wording so that the modern hearer can understand it a little better. Because the facts of the Bible have not changed. And over those thousand prophecies, I want you to get this, there were 300 in the Old Testament concerning Jesus Christ alone. And the last one was about 400 years before his birth. And they weren't prophecies like, oh, someday a Messiah is going to come. No, they were prophecies like, he will be born in Bethlehem. That he, will, that, that he will be born at a certain time. That he will live in Egypt for a time. That he will arrive in Jerusalem on a donkey. Even David, who wrote the Psalms, prophesied thousands of years before crucifixion was even a method of torture by the Romans. That Jesus would die the death by crucifixion. I want you to get this picture because I think this is so critical. What are the odds that all 300 of those prophecies about Jesus would come true? Now, I did not do well in probability and statistics in college. I just, my brain could not wrap around that. I'm pretty simple on, hey, if I have 10 marbles in a bowl and there's one red one and there's nine white ones, what's the probability of you picking out one of the, you know, the red one? Well, it's one out of 10, right? Well, there was a, a professor uh, named Dr. Peter Stoner that brought 600 researchers in who are experts in probability and statistics and said, okay, what is the probability that, that these prophecies would all be fulfilled by one man? 
What are the, what's the chance of that happening? And, and, he, and he broke it down. He said their research found that the thought that one person could fulfill eight of those prophecies, it's going to be on the screen because I can't pronounce these numbers, uh, one person fulfilling eight prophecies would basically have a one in 10 to the 17th power of that happening. And that, that, that calculates to, wow, well, it's kind of scrambled there. It calculates to that number right there that I can't even say because it'd be like me as a junior high kid making up like, it's a bazillion. I don't know what it is, but it is like, it's big. And, and he basically said, the odds and statistics of that are like this. This is a good Texas story, so I'll help you out here. How many know Texas is bigger than North Carolina? How many know all good things come out of Texas? Thank you. So anyway, he said it's like this. He said that probability is like covering the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. That big. And taking one of those silver dollars and putting an X on it. And then taking someone in Oklahoma, picking them up, flying them over Texas, and at some point they would say, stop, I know where it is. And they would, however they get them down, they'd get down, reach into that pile, and they'd pull out the one with the X on it. He said the odds of that are the same as the odds of Jesus Christ fulfilling only eight of the 300 prophecies that were spoken about his coming. It, it gets bigger than that, and we, I won't bore you with all that because it, it basically what it's saying is it is impossible, but how did it happen? Because prophecy is not, does not find its origin in human. Prophecy was not from man. It is from God. Second Peter 1.21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets through human, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Listen, gang, it's why I get so nervous when people try to be prophets today. In the Old Testament, you did not want to be a prophet. And the reason was because if you were wrong once, they took you outside of the camp and they killed you. Okay? They're like, uh. But today, we like write books like, you know, 20 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 2020 or, or 19 reasons came back in 1999, and we all go, oops, we were wrong. But when the Bible was written, it wasn't an oops, we were wrong. It's either we are accurate or not. Why? Because our salvation depends on its accuracy. Because mankind depends on its accuracy. You see, a lot of people, they, they, they think they, they know and understand prophecy, but when you look at it, you can't afford to be on the wrong side of prophecy. You, you can't, there are prophecies about what is to come, the return of Christ. And, and we cannot afford to be on the wrong side of that. Revelation 22, 6 says, the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. I shared with you last week, gang, look at politics, look at world events, read the Bible, and guess what you will consider and think of? Jesus Christ is coming back soon. There's a reason Russia's in, in the Middle East right now, and it's not all about oil. There, there's a reason America's going through some things. Why? It's lining up what the Word of God teaches, because Jesus Christ is coming soon. I get excited about that. Y'all are looking at me like, oh, way to go, Pastor. I get excited, because I can trust it. Not only can I trust it because it's prophetically true, last week I shared that it's thematically unified. 40 individuals, 1,600 years, 12 nations, three contents, and yet they had the same thing from beginning to the end without contradiction. You can, you can go through the Bible and you will see the subject of the Bible is not you, it's Jesus. And you can find him all through the Bible if you'll just take time to research and spend time in that. So I'm not going to spend any more time in that because we talked about it all last week. But the fifth reason is it is trusted by Jesus. People say to me, oh, I love Jesus, but I don't know if I can trust his word. 
I love Jesus, but I'm not sure I, I believe everything that's written in the Bible. Can I tell you that you cannot trust Jesus without trusting the rest of the Bible? Because it says in Matthew 5, 18, these are the words of Jesus, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Here, here's the truth I want you to get about this. If you believe what you like in the Bible, but don't believe what you don't like in the Bible, then the Bible's not what you trust. What you trust is yourself. And your God is not the God of heaven. The God is you. We've turned truth into my own truth. You see that in a lot of articles now. Well, she's sharing her truth. Well, truth is truth. Truth is truth whether we like it or not. And the Bible is true in every way. And Jesus said, blessed rather are those that hear the word of God and obey it. Listen, I, I may not necessarily agree or even like some things that are in the Word of God. I mean, I can totally understand all of them, but I'm going to trust it because Jesus trusted it. I'm going to trust it because he put his faith in it. He said that, that not one pin stroke is going to go away until it's all fulfilled. He based his life on it, and we should base our own. There's a sixth thing, and we're going to wrap this up. The sixth reason you can trust the Bible is for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, it has withstood every attack against it. For centuries, it has stood every attack against it. The Bible is the most loved and despised book in the world. It is destroyed as much as it is created. But yet there have been people throughout history who have given their lives, who have died in the face of, of persecutors because they would not give up the Word of God. And can I tell you, it is still happening in countries today. It is not something back in history. It is still happening in countries today. You can die for having the word of God. Yet throughout history, man has tried to dismiss it. One of the most famous philosophers who was, who was proclaimed to be one of the most intelligent people of all time was a man named Voltaire. And Voltaire was a French philosopher. And he made this statement. He said, I, I guarantee you within 100 years of my life, the Bible will not exist. Well, guess who doesn't exist anymore? Voltaire, neither does that quote. Because he was totally wrong. And I think it's quite ironic that after he died, his house became the home of the French Bible Society where they would uh, translate and send it out. Because we know something Voltaire didn't get, and that's in 1 Peter 1 where it says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Gang, can I tell you, the Romans could not stomp out the beginnings of our faith. Religious malpractice through the dark ages and the Inquisition, could not take away from the truth of God's Word. Communism, rationalism, fundamentalism, it, it, it doesn't change the truth of God's Word. We live in a day when I'll tell you, it is going to stand in this day. Whether political people try to use it to, to sway men or rule men or not, that's not its purpose. But it will stand today's political correctness because there are attempts to silence the truth of God's word lest it might offend somebody. And I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to be angry or anything else. But I'm telling you, if you're on the wrong side of the truth, it's not the truth that needs to change. It's you that needs to change. Because though God's word has stood the test of time. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God and the salvation. And I'm going to bank my life on it. Why? Because I can trust it. And the last thing, and I told you, I, I'm one that this is out of, my, out of my realm a little bit because I don't need apologetics to tell me I can trust God. And the reason is, the final reason that I want to share with you this morning, you can trust your Bible. Why? Because it will transform you. It will transform you. Listen, gang, you need to decide what is going to be the final authority in your life. 
Is it going to be the world or is it going to be the word? But you've got to decide. You need to learn it. You need to study it. You need to get it in a group and talk about it because that's where we really iron sharpen iron, build each other up. But whenever you are opposed to what the Bible says, the Bible's not changing. And history tells me that soul after soul after soul have been transformed, not because of a scientific project, but because the Word of God has transforming power within it. Listen, there are a lot of things I shared earlier that I wish were not true in the Bible. I would, I would totally ask God for an addendum on a couple of things just based on our, our culture, our society. But I've learned that where, where I feel like maybe I don't understand it or, or maybe I have a struggle with it, I trust its authority in my life because it is the truth that I find my freedom in. And I love the fact that God gives every one of us the freedom to thumb our nose at this. I love the fact that salvation is not through coercion. I love the fact that God says, you can thumb your nose at the, at the laws of my word, but I tell you, at some point, the word is going to be authority over you, whether you want it or not. It's kind of like this. It'd be like me one day having this wild thought that says, you know what? I don't believe all you people that believe in gravity. I think you're crazy. That's a crutch. Who needs that? So I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to go up to the top of Bank of America's building, and I'm going to take a flying leap. And about 20 floors down, one of you might look out the window and say, Hey, Pastor Mike, how's it going? I'm like, so far, so good. But how many know I'm going to eventually splat? Because the law is going to come into play, whether I believe it or not. And the same is the Word of God. There's no other source that gives me life. There's no other source that gives us the power to be set free. There's no other source where God shows us that we can find life. Can I tell you, the Bible is so important. The reason it's important that we believe it is an error and infallible is simply this. Because if it's not, then our salvation is broken. If the Bible's not true, then I'm up a creek. But it's the Bible that tells you that you were fearfully and wonderfully made, that you were not an accident on this earth. It is the Bible that tells you that you are loved in spite of yourself, that God doesn't wait for you to clean up, but he invites you to come just as you are. It is the Bible that says there's a reason you're on this earth, and it's not just taking up space, breathing oxygen, but there's something God wants to do through you because he created you with purpose. It's the Bible that says you can be forgiven no matter what. It is the Bible that says no matter what a problem you face, God can bring good through that. It's the Bible that says you can experience eternity through Christ. But we've got to decide. Are we going to conform to the patterns of this world or are we going to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to the Word of God? Oh, can I tell you, if I thought politics would transform this world, I would resign as your pastor today and you'd be reading about me in the paper. Elect Mike, I'm going to change the world. But you know what? I'm sorry. The highest calling on the earth is not to be the president of the United States. The highest calling on the earth is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And have the power of God dwelling in you that can change the lives of others. If I, if I really believed that, I would stop, but I can't. Why? Because I know what's happened to me. I, I'm, I'm childlike in my faith. And I'm not ashamed of that. I, I, I've sat through these lectures. I, I've sat through them like, yeah, okay, whatever. I've studied science. I'm not an ignorant person. I'm a learned person. I could have been in medical school. I turned it down. But this is what I knew. God revealed himself to me through his word. And Jesus Christ became the savior of my life. 
And I never want to go back because he's transformed me from the inside out and he does the same today. Because it is the word of God that can take a bigot and make him a lover. It is the word of God that can take a murderer and he becomes a, an apostle that writes half the word we get, we get our theology from. But it's only because the word of God is true and you can trust it. So my question to you this morning is, what do you trust? Jesus said this in John 8, and we're going to pray. He said, if you hold to my teaching, in other words, if you, if you grab a hold of the teaching, you don't just read it and pass it off like taking a vitamin. It's, it's something you get a hold of. He said, then you're really my disciples. You see, disciples are not people that wake up and ask, do I feel like going to church today? Do I feel like reading the Word today? Do I feel like loving my neighbor? Do I feel like praying? Disciples are not always hedging between, is there anything better to do than that? No, disciples, he said, if you hold my teaching, you really get a hold of them. He says, then, then you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Help me out. Do you believe that? Why don't you stand with me? I've said this again and again from the very beginning of hope. Give us a year of your life. Give us time. Come, get the word of God in you. Give your life to Christ. Read the word. Learn to pray. We'll help you with that. Get into a group because that's where their strength is. But can I tell you, you will never be the same again. I shared with you last week, for some of you I challenge, just, just pick up the Bible, find your reading plan, begin to start last week and spend time in it day by day by day. My reading plan has me in the book of Job right now, but I am not depressed, praise God. Because even in the book of Job, what he does at the end of it, Job finally says, it's not just, it's not fair. God, why do we struggle with some of these things? And God basically goes all apologetic on him. And he says, Job, where were you when I created all this? Job, where were you when the waves came? I wrote a thesis on Job because I was one that struggled in a point of just fairness. I'm a high justice person. And what I came to the end of it was there is one God who has promised me life on his terms and not on my abilities. There is one God who sent his son to die for me and rose from the grave. There is one God who's promised me eternal life, not just someday, but quality life now. And even though this world may bring some things in my life I don't like, I'm going to put my trust in Him. My prayer is that you do the same. Because at the end of the day, if the God you're trusting in is yourself, I pity you. But if the God you're trusting in is the one who set the heavens in motion, who created this wonderful earth that one day is going to redeem it, is coming back for us, then you can experience life now and forever in Him.